Hello and thank you for listening to this Exploring ASD podcast with the Northern Trust. Uh, my name is James Nelson. I'm a psychiatrist in the Trust and I'm delighted to be introducing our, our first podcast. And uh, for today, we've we've titled our podcast Conversations to Have Before an ASD Assessment. And I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Debbie, from the autism team. Debbie, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Debbie Paul, and I am a team lead within the Pediatric ASD Service. I am a clinical specialist in ASD and a speech and language therapist by background. For my job, I am mostly involved in the diagnostic part of the service, meaning that I assess children and young people for an autism spectrum disorder. But I also provide intervention and support to children, young people and their families following a diagnosis of ASD. Thanks, Debbie. And uh, maybe just to set the scene for our listeners, um, particularly with this being our first uh, podcast, do you want to say a bit of a background to to, to the podcast and where, where this idea has come from? Well, the past 12 months have been incredibly challenging for everyone as COVID has impacted on almost every aspect of our lives, including children not being able to go to school, parents learning how to homeschool and juggle their own work commitments. Everyone's routine has changed and for most families this has come with its challenges but particularly for many of the children and young people that we work with who have an autism spectrum disorder or who are autistic and this has been a really confusing time because their whole routine has just changed completely. So we thought, well, we were wondering how else we could get information out to parents and carers to try and support them during these times because we know the parents are really busy with lots of jobs to do in a day busy households and we thought hopefully podcasts would be an alternative way of reaching families because you can listen to it at a time that is convenient to you and you can replay it again if you need to or share it with any other family members that you think might benefit from listening to it. So it's something new that we're trying and we plan to explore a range of different topics through these podcasts to raise awareness and understanding of ASD, share useful tips and strategies and generally ways of supporting children and young people with an autism spectrum disorder. So it won't be us speaking every time, James, um, the listeners will get to hear from different members of the team depending on the topic of the podcast. And you may notice as you listen to the podcasts that sometimes we change the language that we use. So, for example, we might say a child with autism and that can be described as person first language or we might say an autistic child and this can be described as identity first language. This is something that is currently being debated within the autism community as to which language should be used because many autistic people prefer identity first language but then some other people and maybe parents of children who are autistic prefer person first language. So we will probably use these terms quite interchangeably for now. However, I do think it's important to note that we respect all perspectives on this, especially of those who are autistic themselves. And when we're working with your individual child or young person, of course, we would use the terminology that they prefer. Thanks, Debbie. That's a a helpful um, explanation, both to the podcast and uh, to generally how we we try to use our language uh, well. Uh, our podcast today is entitled Conversations to Have Before an ASD Assessment and I suppose today we'll be focusing on the 
what really is the first part of a journey for someone um, who will go on to have a diagnosis of autism. So this is a podcast aimed at parents or carers of a young person who's maybe been referred for an ASD assessment uh, or maybe even the family are just weighing up whether to proceed with a diagnostic assessment or not. And so Debbie, I'm wondering from your experience in the autism service, um, can you summarize for us a bit how might families be feeling at this stage? Maybe they've had a conversation with a pediatrician, maybe they've had a conversation with someone in CAMS and and the topic of a of an autism assessment's come up. What what sort of things can can emerge for families at that point? What sort of feelings? Parents and carers can experience a huge range of emotions throughout an autism assessment, from having their child referred to receiving a diagnosis and even afterwards. And I have had parents describe it as a complete roller coaster of emotions. Some parents have reported a feeling of a sense of relief because often it is the parent who first recognises um, some differences in their child and maybe it is them that raises their concerns with a teacher or a health professional and then to have someone else acknowledge and agree with what they've seen and then make the referral sometimes this can bring some relief that somebody's listened to them um, and that somebody else recognizes these behaviors as well but sometimes it's somebody else that raises their concerns with the parent perhaps a teacher notices the child doing something in class or the paediatrician notices something within their appointment or maybe like yourself James maybe you notice some behaviours in a CAMS appointment and whenever it is somebody else that brings it to the parent's attention it can be quite a shock for parents who maybe hadn't noticed anything before or maybe a parent had a feeling that something was different with their child but they hadn't quite put their finger on it and then whenever it's highlighted by somebody else this can quickly lead parents to feeling a bit overwhelmed and maybe a bit worried. They'll have lots of questions about the diagnosis and the assessment process and parents have reported the prospect of an autism assessment being quite daunting. Some parents I've also reported feeling angry, angry at life, angry that this is happening to them and their child. Some parents have reported feelings of sadness, particularly after a diagnosis is given. Um, and parents have spoken about the sadness they felt for the child that they thought they would have. You know, most people probably expect to have a neurotypical child and they have they maybe hadn't considered life with an autistic child before now. And sometimes this is followed then by feelings of sadness and guilt for feeling this way. I suppose if you're listening to this at home and you can relate to any of these feelings, it's important to know that you're not on your own in feeling like this. Neurodiversity has so much to be celebrated, but it is okay to feel unsettled by the thought of something new at the beginning of this journey. Thanks, Debbie. Yes, you've you've summed that up well. There, there really can be a lot of different emotions going on and, and perhaps everyone's experience is a somewhat different um in general terms have you any advice for a parent or carer if they're hearing this and they're feeling they're feeling worried they're feeling overwhelmed they're just feeling pretty unsettled by it all uh, what advice would we give them well firstly i would say finish listening to this podcast we hope to address a lot of the common questions that we get asked during an autism assessment um, so hopefully this will answer some of your questions. But if you're feeling really worried, talk about how you're feeling with your partner, your spouse, someone you can trust, maybe a family member or a friend. And then I would say go out and learn a bit more about autism. Um, 
there's two websites that I would really recommend. The first one is the Autism NI website and the second one is the National Autistic Society website. They're great places to start because they have really good, reliable, trustworthy information and some free resources and things that you can download. Um, but when you are online and you're reading about autism, just be careful with what websites you go on and don't believe everything that you read on the internet. And also remember that autism is a spectrum condition. So this means that it affects people in different ways, depending on the individual themselves, and it varies from person to person. So not everything you learn about autism is going to apply to your child. But if after doing this, if you still feel worried um, or maybe you still have some questions that are unanswered, just pick up the phone and ring us or send us over an email. Thanks, Debbie. That's very helpful and good to know that families can get in touch with the service and just have an informal conversation and bounce it around with a member of the team. That That's very welcome, I'm sure. I'm wondering about the issue of children and young people knowing about the autism assessment and knowing what they would be going along to. I guess I've I've seen this once or twice where a young person hasn't known that they've got a diagnosis of autism, even though the assessment's been complete, and sometimes it can cause some challenges. So I just wonder, how does the service handle that, the issue of a young person knowing uh, about what the assessment is? Yes, if your child's in primary school, I would say they most likely don't need to know that they're coming for an autism assessment. Generally speaking, we would advise that teenagers are made aware of why they're attending our appointments. But of course, there's exceptions to the rule and it depends on each family and each child and young person. However, our policy is that if they are 16 and over, then they need to consent to the assessment before we can proceed. But if later down the line, your child or young person does receive a diagnosis of autism, we will be able to provide advice and support at that time to parents and carers um, and, and support with how they can start those conversations and share that diagnosis with their young person. But it's not something they need to be worrying about at this stage. Thanks, Debbie. I'm wondering for parents listening to this and they maybe have a teenager at home and they're planning to come along for an autism assessment and they're just not sure how to start talking about it. Have we any advice how to get that conversation going? Well, this again varies between families because I think it depends on where the parent is on their own journey in terms of accepting that their young person might be autistic and how much understanding they have themselves about what autism is and what to expect from the assessment process, I suppose. So... If you're a parent and you're thinking about having this conversation with your child or your young person and telling them about the assessment, I think it's important to be prepared and do a bit of research yourself about what autism is so that you're in a better position to answer any questions that they have. Um, And be aware of your own feelings and how you might come across to your young person because they'll pick up on this and we don't want to raise their anxieties or make them worried about coming to the appointment. So if you're at the beginning of this journey and at the minute you still feel a bit worried or a bit overwhelmed and a bit unsure yourself, I would maybe hold off on this conversation. That is very important, isn't it, Debbie, for for a parent to be in a a calm enough place to have that conversation. So if they're feeling a bit overwhelmed and not sure at all about what's best or anything, that that wouldn't be the the best time to drop it into conversation and start that um, 
what could be a, a long term, even a lifelong conversation about autism with their with their child or, or young person. I suppose if a parent's feeling calm enough and 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 they want to get that conversation going with the young person in advance of an assessment, what what tips would we have exactly about that? What 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 way could they sort of bring it up or 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 or, or have that conversation? We talk about starting to drip feed information. So your young person might know somebody else who is autistic and this can be used as a conversation starter. For teenagers, it might be helpful to talk about what autism is, some of the things that autistic people are really good at and some of the things that autistic people can find more difficult. And your young person might then start to think about this or identify with some of this. But remember, you're only at the start of this process. They don't have a diagnosis yet and they might not get a diagnosis. So we have to be careful to try and get the balance right between not bombarding young people with too much information, but at the same time ensuring that they have enough information to be able to consent to the assessment um, if they wish to at that age of 16 and over. Yes, quite quite a balance with all of that, I suppose, Debbie. And I really like what you're saying there about drip feeding it as a conversation, because I suppose some people, maybe myself included, might think of it as it's a big serious conversation to have that you need to sort of sit down and have the whole thing at once. And and actually, I think your advice is very helpful there that just gradually building it in and talking about it little by little is is probably a, a gentler, more helpful way to have that, that conversation. And some young people do need that sit down conversation probably after the diagnosis is confirmed but at this early stage we really don't want to make it into too much of a big deal we don't want to worry them but at the same time we want to bring their awareness around to the fact that this appointment is coming up and as I said if they're at that age of 16 then they need to be informed so that they can make that decision. Uh, just on another point, Debbie, we know that every family setup can be somewhat different and and I'm just wondering for families where parents aren't together um, how the autism service would engage with them and, and, and approach that issue. Do you, want, do you want to say a little bit about how the, the team approached that? We encounter this a lot. Um, our policy currently is that we need one person with parental responsibility for the child or young person to provide consent in order to proceed with an autism assessment. However, we really, really, really recommend that everyone with parental responsibility is made aware of the assessment. Thanks for that, Debbie. I wonder then moving on just to think a little bit more about the assessment itself. Can you give us a bit of detail about what the assessment would involve? Well, an assessment for an autism spectrum disorder is a process and sometimes it can be quite lengthy. It involves gathering information from lots of different sources with parents' consent and we're trying to develop a profile of the child's strengths and the child's needs. So, for example, we may liaise with your child's school to find out how they're getting on there or with any other professionals that they're known to. The first stage of the assessment, we usually invite parents to attend an appointment where we complete a developmental history and parents are asked lots and lots of questions about their child's development. And then we would meet the child and sometimes this is in clinic or school or sometimes even in their home. So it, it's it's a, a process, as you say, rather than a, a one-off snapshot, and it can involve quite a lot of, of questions and, and quite a bit of trying to remember, what age did my child uh, ride a bike at? And so on, yeah, a uh, fair bit of detail needed. Yeah, it's always helpful if parents can have a, a, a wee think about those early milestones before they come for their developmental history appointment. Do a bit of rev- revising before, <laughs> before they come. 
I wonder, do you want to say a little bit, Debbie, about some of the possible benefits of coming along for an autism assessment? How, how could an assessment help? A diagnosis of ASD provides a context for others in understanding the child better and knowing how best to support them. So autism is a lifelong neurodevelopmental condition and it affects how a person thinks, processes information, communicates and interacts with others and just understands the world around them. So whilst we recognise that every person with or without autism is individual and unique, there are many commonalities for autistic people which makes them autistic. So if we're aware of this then it allows us to take a step back and really think okay this child is neurodiverse let's find out what they're really interested in let's find out what motivates what motivates them what are they really good at and then what do they find more challenging and why is that a challenge challenge for them and then that enables us to put appropriate supports in place in order to try and help them to develop their skills yes debbie i i'm I totally agree with you about that, about the common themes, because it's amazing working in CAMS when we start to have a conversation with a family where the young person turns out to have autism and we start asking the questions, how much they, they kind of nod and go, yes, that sums me up or that sums my child up. And there can be a real, um, I don't know if relief's the right word, but a real sense of, yes, you you get it. Now, you know, you're understanding why I find those things difficult and why does nobody else understand? So, yeah, the, the, that commonality of, of, of some core traits that is so important and can can actually be a real relief when we start to tap into that with with families yes and that's definitely true as you say for the young people themselves to feel like that but also for the parents that we work with and that's a big part of our role in supporting parents to better understand their young person in the context of their diagnosis and then what they can do to support them can you give us an example debbie maybe of of how putting a child's particular difficulties in the setting of autism could could help everybody so for example a common problem that parents contact us for advice on is helping their child to manage change in their routine and there can be lots of reasons why children don't like change in their routine and this is something that we would explore then with the family but if i'm thinking about this in the context of asd I'm able to be more focused on where the difficulties might be stemming from and then what strategies would be appropriate to support the young person. So I'm thinking about a child who has autism, struggling with changing routine. I would be trying to think about them holistically and develop a profile of their strengths and their needs. One of the main areas of difficulty for children with autism is their imaginative skills. And it's often the child's difficulty with their imaginative skills that impacts on their ability to cope with and manage change. Because whenever a child's in a consistent routine, they don't need to rely on their imaginative skills. They don't need to imagine all the details about what's coming next. They've done it before. They know what to expect. But then all of a sudden, whenever the routine is changed, a child needs to have a certain level of imaginative skills to be able to imagine what this new change in routine means for them. They need to be able to make predictions and draw on inferences. But then there's also a lot of other skill a lot of other skills that a child needs to also manage this situation. So for example, they need to have emotional regulation skills to understand and respond to their own change in their feelings. They need to have effective communication skills to be able to ask questions to find out information they need to know about what this change means for them. 
effective communication skills to be able to request help from others or to be able to say no and they need to be able to manage their sensory process and difficulties on top of all of this. So as I begin to build a profile of this young person whilst having an understanding of ASD in the back of my mind it allows me to be more focused on identifying skills I need to help the child to develop so that they can manage this situation more effectively the next time because you can imagine how challenging it could be for a child who experiences this on a daily basis and then without the skills they need some children can quickly just switch into fight flight or freeze that's really helpful Debbie I'm, I'm struck by what you're saying there it's a very good example that but about use of imagination just trying to think what that's like for someone on the spectrum that if something changes in their routine and they then struggle to conceptualize What's that actually going to be like? That that could be frightening, I suppose, couldn't it? And cause anxiety. And then we add into that that many young people on the spectrum find it quite hard to identify their feelings, to say, oh, I'm feeling anxious. They might just say, I feel bad. That does sound, I mean, that helps us to understand that a little bit about how challenging some of this is. That's a very, really clear example, yeah. And I suppose then, Debbie, as well, this is benefit for people outside of the family, potentially as well, to understand the young person. And the example that comes to mind for me in that is school. I've kind of lost count of the amount of times I've heard where um, a school situation has gone wrong and it tends to be quite a typical situation and I'm just going to hog the microphone for a wee minute and and share that, Debbie, if you don't mind. Of course. um, Where where a young person maybe misreads a social situation and says something a bit inappropriate to their teacher, maybe the corrector teacher or something, which maybe shouldn't do in front of the whole class. And then the teacher gets cross about it, doesn't know the child's got autism, doesn't know how you know, therefore the best ways to approach them with that in mind. And then they maybe get into their personal space and they then talk loudly and say, what did you just say? And at this point, the, you know, the sensory overload for the child, they don't know how to manage it. And sometimes the table gets flipped over or they storm off. And and, and before you know it, you can have a, a detention or a suspension on your hands. So um, I'm kind of answering my own question there, but this is really important then, not just for the family themselves, but for the broader system around a young person to know if they're on the spectrum and how best to approach them. We think it's extremely important for school to be able to consider the child's needs in the context of their diagnosis because that helps teachers to use appropriate strategies to adapt their communication style or adapt the environment to support the needs of the young person. And I know parents have found it useful when their child has had a diagnosis of ASD confirmed because Now there's a confirmation that their child has a neurological difference and therefore skills like listening, paying attention, turn-taking, following instructions, you know, these are more difficult. And some parents feel that this is almost evidence that, you know, their child isn't just being disruptive or causing trouble deliberately. They have a neurological difference and, and that makes some of these activities more challenging. But I think it's probably important to mention that Although a diagnosis definitely does help other people in understanding the young person, a diagnosis doesn't automatically result in any access to additional support in school or an educational statement. So some parents that we work with think that by getting a diagnosis of autism that their child will get a classroom assistant automatically, for example, but this isn't the case. So any additional support is determined by the education authority. 
and the Education Authority is a separate organisation from the NHS. This is something that lots of parents ask us questions about so if you're a parent listening to this and you want to find out more information about that the Department of Education has provided written guidance for the Education Authority and it's called the Code of Practice. So if you visit the Education Authority website and search the Code of Practice you'll find lots of information on there about this. But I would recommend that if you're concerned about your child's ability in school, you know, how they're accessing the curriculum, I would say speak to their teachers and share with them how you're feeling or what you're worried about. And each school should have a Cinco and that's a special educational needs coordinator. So it might also be useful to have a chat with them. Thanks, Debbie. Yeah, that education aspect is really important for so, so many, isn't it? Um, moving the conversation on a little bit to, to the young person themselves who might come along for an autism assessment and they might then get a diagnosis, what's your sense of, of what, what this means for them personally? Well, I think we've touched on this before, but many teenagers and adults report a sense of relief whenever they get a diagnosis of an autism spectrum disorder because all their life they find certain things more challenging and they've probably been aware that they've thought slightly differently to some of their neurotypical peers and they might have developed their own thoughts and reasons for why they thought this was but then the diagnosis provides a neurological explanation for why some of these things have been challenging. In my experience many older teenagers are keen to learn more about autism and learn more about their body and how their brain works and this in turn helps them then to use their skills and their strengths and a lot of people that we work with um, they they enjoy joining the autism community there's lots of groups and societies out there for autistic people and they enjoy meeting other autistic people reading books by other autistic people or listening to autistic speakers and just learning off other autistic people who are the same neurotype as them and I suppose it gives them a sense of a community and a belonging as as they meet more people that are like themselves. So that can be a very supportive aspect aspect for them. We've thought there so far about positive aspects of coming along for an assessment and indeed a little bit about what the assessment might involve. I suppose people might be listening to this and thinking about possible drawbacks. So I'm wondering, um, do you want to say a little bit about that, Debbie, about possible drawbacks or, or maybe negative aspects of coming along for a diagnostic assessment? We are aware that there may be restrictions for some areas of employment, particularly within the, the military, so the Army or the RAF or the Royal Navy. Historically, autism was an exclusion criteria for some of these jobs, and personally I have worked with a few young people who have applied for the army and then they haven't been successful. I don't believe autism is currently listed as an exclusion criteria but I could just recommend families to visit the individual websites and find out more information about the eligibility criteria for you know the job that their young person might be interested in. But the National Autistic Society website again is a great resource and there's lots of advice on there for autistic people who may be seeking work because employers are legally obligated to support autistic people and make reasonable adjustments so if you want any more information on that I would recommend the National Autistic Society website again. And can there be issues Debbie then about having to declare a diagnosis of autism in some circumstances? Yes so I know this probably feels 
very far away for many of your young people but anecdotally we have been advised of a few people who have had to declare on their life insurance and their travel insurance even and I know that you have to disclose it to the DVLA if you're applying for a driver's license so if you have a condition that affects your driving such as autism so that's on a very individual basis. Thanks Debbie. I think we've used the term lifelong more than once or twice during this podcast. I wonder, do you just want to say something about that, about autism as a lifelong diagnosis rather than a temporary thing? Yes, that's right. Autism is lifelong. And I suppose it's important to make parents aware of that now because it's not something that can be taken away down the line. And that is something that we have been contacted for by parents to request that. But I think this narrative is something that autistic people are quite passionate about. And as I mentioned earlier, many autistic people prefer to be called autistic because autism is a part of them. You know, they they don't grow out of it. It doesn't go away. So it's important to recognize autism as an important part of someone's identity. If your child is diagnosed, I really think we should be focusing on helping them to understand their diagnosis, understand what that means for them, what they find difficult and why. And I think it's by empowering people with autism and raising awareness and acceptance of autism in society is how we're going to reach the best outcomes for autistic individuals. Yes, and I suppose, Debbie, that's making me think of some families I've encountered in CAMS again. And and really, the lifelong aspect of it is a lifelong discovery, really, and developing an understanding, and both for the young person and for the parents. And I suppose I would just, as we're coming to the end of this podcast, just want to emphasize that, that really there can be a lot of richness in starting to understand what makes your young people tick and and how best to engage with them and understand them and support them. And I suppose then just as we bring this to a close, Debbie, and we've talked about a lot of different things and different aspects. And right at the start, we were mentioning about the emotional roller coaster that some people might be feeling around the time of going along for an assessment. I, I wonder, is there any final advice you'd have if a parent is just really just not sure what to do about whether to come for an assessment or not what uh, any final advice for someone in that situation if you're in this position at the start of the assessment read more about autism learn about autism some parents have found it helpful to speak to other parents of children with autism or maybe listen to other autistic people speak about their own experiences but if you've still got any questions We would rather you just pick up the phone and ring us and we can try and help as best as we can rather than sitting at home worrying. Thanks, Debbie. That's really helpful to know that offers there for families just to be able to lift the phone if if they want to have a bit more of a discussion about it. So thanks for for that. And thanks for the the advice and and comments um, to help our listeners as they think this all through. And thank you to you all uh, for listening and we hope you find this podcast helpful.